What's going on, everyone? I'm your host, JT. Back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, I'm going to be giving you guys my NFC Super Wildcard preview and predictions. We're going to be breaking down, talking about all of the upcoming NFC Wildcard matchups. Seahawks 49ers, Giants Vikings, Cowboys Buccaneers, Monday Night Football. Before we get into it, if you haven't already, make sure that you leave a like on the video and subscribe to the channel. We upload NFL and college football content daily. Make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast. Every single episode and video that's uploaded on the channel is available in audio format on all podcasting platforms. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from, you can find the JT Sports Podcast. If you enjoy this episode of the pod, share with a family member, friend, or acquaintance, and leave a five-star review if you enjoy. The Seattle Seahawks are going to be going on the road to take on the San Francisco 49ers. This is the third time this season these two squads have met up, and the 49ers in the previous matchups have wiped the floor with the Seahawks. You know, it has to be one of the biggest surprises of the year to see the Seattle Seahawks in the freaking playoffs. If you remember what the narrative was about the Seahawks before the 2022-2023 NFL season kicked off, many people expected the Seahawks to be probably the worst team in the NFL, either them or the New York Giants, and we felt like Seattle and the Giants were going to be competing for the number one overall pick to see who was going to have the chance at drafting Bryce Young. Well, it turns out neither one because both of them made it to the playoffs, the Giants and the Seattle Seahawks. And if we were currently in the month of August right now, right? And we had the time machine. We had the ability to jump forward to see who was in the playoffs this season If you were to look and see the Seahawks and the Giants in the playoffs, you probably would have said, what the hell happened this year? You look at Pete Carroll, I think him and Brian Dable should share the honors of NFL Coach of the Year. Both of these two guys did a fantastic job with their squads. You look at Pete Carroll with the Seattle Seahawks squad, they're led by a fantastic group of rookies. You got running back Kenneth Walker, who this season ran for 1,050 yards on the ground. He averaged 4.6 yards per tote, and he had nine touchdowns. You also have to talk about the fantastic offensive rookie tackle duo that the Seahawks have in Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas out of Washington State. On the defensive side of the football, they have a fantastic rookie duo at the cornerback position in Kobe Bryant, Tariq Woolen. You also have a stout pass rusher in Boye Monfe, who I think is going to have a bright future in this league. I think he could end up being a double-digit sack guy consistently year in and year out. So this Seahawks team has a lot of talented young players. You also have a couple of good aging vets there who are also able to come in and contribute. But this Seattle Seahawks team, when they're at their best offensively, is when they're able to get K-9 going. The Seahawks are 4-1 this season when Kenneth Walker has rushed for at least 100 yards or more. And they're 3-4 and four when Kenneth Walker has rushed for less than 100 yards. So it's really imperative that the Seahawks are able to establish the run game against the 49ers the third go-around. Geno Smith, 
has been fantastic this year. 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions while throwing for 4,282 yards through the air. You look at the 11 interceptions, they're not all on Geno Smith. I think a good chunk of those came from tips or, you know, drops that ended up getting intercepted by the opposing defense. Geno Smith has been really good for the Seahawks, but at times when the Seahawks ask him to do too much, they can get in trouble because then their offensive tackles kind of end up struggling from time to time. And it's just when you have a team with so much young talent, there's going to be a lot of growing pains. And this season, the Seahawks went through a lot of growing pains. However, they were able to win their last two games against the Jets and the Rams, and that's how they were able to get into this spot. Geno Smith is really good, especially when he has a complimentary running game to go along. So if the run game gets going with Kenneth Walker, I think Geno Smith can have a fantastic performance. And there is a small path to an upset for the Seahawks winning this game, okay? With the 49ers, yes, this defense is tough. But this is your third time facing off against this team. So if you're Pete Carroll, you should be able to go back, watch the film from the previous two matchups and say, okay, this is all of the things that we need to correct third go around. Now, even though the 49ers or a more talented team than you on paper, this is your third time facing off against this team. And I think if I was a head coach, the team that I would least one to face in the first round of the playoffs would be the team that I've already played two times during the season. Because what team knows you better than your divisional foe? Okay, and you already seen them twice, so you're going to see them a third time, so you kind of already know what to expect. If you're Seattle and you're Pete Carroll and you're this coaching staff, you're probably going to try to throw some different things at the 49ers that they haven't seen yet, vice versa. But just because the 49ers are a way more talented team doesn't mean the Seahawks don't have a shot. There's a reason why the games are played on the field and why they're not decided on paper. I think Seattle has a really solid chance at winning this game. Their red zone offense does scare you. Their run defense does scare you. They're 30th in the NFL in rushing yards per game allowed. But they do have a really good pass rush and they're really good at forcing takeaways this is a top 10 defense when it comes to forcing turnovers the 49ers don't turn the ball over all that often so for Seattle to pull off the upset you gotta force a couple one turnover isn't going to do you any justice in this game you at least need two or three you also need to make sure that you are the most well the least penalized team in this matchup and as we mentioned earlier If you can get Kenneth Walker going, you can have a balanced offense. That's going to help out Geno Smith. When the Seahawks have gotten in trouble, it's been when they have asked Geno Smith to do a little bit too much and they weren't able to play complimentary football. For the 49ers, you got home field advantage. You're 8-1 at home this year. This is one of the toughest places to win at. You got Brock Purdy who's balling right now. He's completing 67% of his passes. He only has four interceptions to 13 touchdowns. Mr. Irrelevant has been looking like Mr. Irrelevant so far this season for San Francisco. But you got to wonder, 
When is the inexperience going to show? This is Brock Purdy's first ever playoff game. He's never been in this spot before. So you got to wonder how he's going to respond if the 49ers face a little bit of adversity in this game. What if San Francisco starts this game down 10-0 and Brock Purdy has an interception to start the game? Okay, is he going to end up being rattled or is he going to end up being able to shake it off? And He's done a pretty good job during the regular season, but the playoffs is a completely different animal. When you get to the playoffs, it's like a reset. Your season starts over. Everybody's zero and zero. What you did in the regular season doesn't matter now that you're in the postseason. Entirely different ball game. And we've seen quarterbacks have solid performances during the regular season and then crumble under the pressure that is the NFL playoffs. So you wonder in this game, if Seattle can take away the run, make the 49ers one-dimensional and force them to have to win with Brock Purdy, you wonder just if Brock Purdy is able to completely carry this 49ers offense throwing the ball 30, maybe 40 times in this game if it comes down to that, if Seattle can take away the run. So for Seattle, you may not be able to take away the run by winning up front, but if you can get out to a fast lead early and you can force Kyle Shanahan to kind of have to press a little bit and have to throw the football a little bit more to keep up with you than what he would like to, I think that kind of plays into your hands and it plays into the strength of your defense. You got to get you if you're Seattle, you got to get you got to get the 49ers throwing the football. That's where the strength of your defense is, your pass rush and your ability to force turnovers. So if you can get Brock Purdy throwing the football, you can get the 49ers somewhat abandoning the run game at times. You got a really good shot at being able to slow down this 49ers offense. Now, the problem with that is that the 49ers offense hasn't really been shut down by anybody for the majority of the second half of this season. They got Christian McCaffrey in that trade with the Carolina Panthers, and I mean, this offense has gotten even better with him. You look at not only what he can do on the ground, but the damage that he can do to you in the passing game as well. Going to be a really big headache for the Seattle Seahawks trying to find a way to slow down Christian McCaffrey. And that's really why it's so hard to beat the 49ers. This is a team that has a balanced offense. They can beat you running the football with CMC or they can beat you throwing the football with Brock Purdy to George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. So even if the Seahawks can take away the run game, You know, that secondary, although it has been pretty good at times, the secondary has been torched in a couple of their outings. So for the Seattle Seahawks, you got to try to find a way to force the 49ers being able to not play complimentary football. You got to try to find a way to slow down that run game. I don't think you have to completely stop it, but I think it's really imperative that you slow it down and you force them to throw the football a little bit more of Brock Purdy than they would like to. Now, for the 49ers, D'Amico Ryans is getting a lot of interviews for head coaching gigs. You want to know why? Because he currently is coaching the best defense in the NFL. The 49ers defense has pretty much been elite 
for the whole entire season. They've been the number one defense from week one to now. They're number one in points per game allowed, number one in yards per game allowed. They're second in rushing yards per game allowed, only giving up 77 yards on the ground per game, which is a big concern if you are a Seattle Seahawks fan because you remember what this 49ers run defense did to you in your previous two games. Not to mention, you have that man, Nicholas John Bosa, who without a doubt is the runaway front runner for a defensive player of the year. Your secondary is outstanding. I'm going with the 49ers to win this game. Um, I think that this game it could be close. I'm not expecting this game to be a blowout. I think Seattle could hang around for the 49ers for at least the first three quarters and then the 49ers pull away midway through the fourth. I'm going to take the 49ers to win 27-17 to 17 is my final score prediction for this matchup. We got the New York Giants going on the road to take on the Minnesota Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings currently are a three-point favorite going into this game. I think not a lot of people are sleeping on the Minnesota Vikings. You see a team that's 11-1 and one possession games. And you also remember the blowout losses that they had to the Eagles, the Cowboys, most recently the Green Bay Packers. But I still don't think that the Minnesota Vikings are frauds, okay? Most NFL games are decided by one possession. So therefore, why would I penalize a team for being able to win one possession football games? You want to know what the difference is between the best coaches in the NFL versus the worst coaches in the NFL? The best coaches in the NFL can win the close games. The worst coaches in the NFL can't win close games. The best teams can win one possession games. The worst teams don't win one possession games. So I'm not going to penalize the Minnesota Vikings for being able to win close games. Because at the end of the day, the majority of NFL games are close games. The problem with Minnesota is that they underperform and they don't play up to the level of talent that they have on the roster. I mean, they have one of the most talented rosters out of all the teams in the playoffs. Look at their offense. I know their defense isn't all that great, but their offense is probably the most talented offense in the postseason this year. Justin Jefferson, TJ Hawkinson, Dalvin Cook, not to mention they have incredible depth at wide receiver, Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne. You also have Alexander Madison backing up Dalvin Cook. This Minnesota Vikings offensive line, though, is a concern. Now, they have dealt with some injuries, just like how the New York Giants have dealt with injuries on the offensive line as well. They are expecting to have a couple of guys back. Um, Kevin O'Connell is hopeful that starting center Garrett Bradbury will be able to return for this game. He's missed the last five games. You also have another offensive tackle who you're hoping could go in this game so for the Vikings if you're able to get two of your starting offensive linemen back in this game that's going to be a huge plus for you because your offensive line normally is the main reason why you get blown out the way you do Kirk Cousins has kind of been a check down Charlie this year he hasn't 
completely shied away from taking shots down the field, but he doesn't take as many shots down the field as you would like him to. And oftentimes he ends up being a little bit too conservative for the Minnesota Vikings. And that's how this offense ends up finding themselves in trouble. When they're unable to win on early downs, they find themselves into third and long situations. And this is where this offense struggles. When you get Kirk Cousins out of rhythm, out of sync with these wide receivers, he ends up becoming a quarterback who ends up being erratic at times. But when he does get into rhythm, this is an offense that's really hard to stop. When Kirk Cousins is able to get the timing down and he's able to get the ball out fast, this offense is one of the best in the NFL. So for the New York Giants, you're a team that if you had to be described by one word, I would say scrappy. You know, this is a team that has fought through a lot of injuries, way more injuries than the Minnesota Vikings have. I mean, the Giants have guys playing that most of us have never freaking heard of before. Who the hell is Isaiah Hodgins? I don't know. I didn't know who the hell this guy was prior to the last couple of weeks. And the last time the Giants and the Vikings faced off against each other, Isaiah Hodgins. A guy who most of us didn't know before the start of this season was carving up Patrick Peterson. <laughs> I was like, Patrick Peterson, you're getting carved up by Isaiah Hodges, bro. Like, what's going on with you? And that goes to the biggest question that most people have, or not even the biggest question, the biggest concern that most people have about the Minnesota Vikings in the playoffs. Outside of their offense, it's their defense. Their defense has been downright awful. 28th in points per game, 31st in yards per game allowed. I mean, the only thing this Minnesota Vikings defense does well is force turnovers. And they force them at the most critical moments of games. I'll say that. You remember when they played the Giants in the regular season? They ended up getting a big interception from Patrick Peterson, not to mention they also forced a fumble as well. Like, this defense isn't good at all, but they do find ways to come through in big moments when it matters the most. And there's a reason why the Minnesota Vikings are the second-best halftime team or the second-best second-half team in the NFL this season. That's because this defense is able to come up with big stops and big moments. And although... They don't, they're not one of the best defenses in the NFL. They're one of the worst. You have to give them credit for being able to step up in big moments. Now, this offense also doesn't really do this defense any favors at times because when this offense is sloppy and they're not able to get things going, they end up putting the defense on the field for more plays than what they should be on the field for. And that also ends up being a disadvantage for the Minnesota Vikings because this is a defense that you probably want off the field as much time as possible. And for the Vikings, when your offense ends up being streaky and you really can't get anything going, the defense ends up being put in unfavorable positions. This defense is way too bad to be putting them in too many spots where you're asking them to bail out your offense. 
Minnesota's offense needs to come in and they need to execute from opening kickoff to the final whistle of this ball game. Because if this offense has one of those performances that they had against the Dallas Cowboys where they just can't figure out anything or the Green Bay Packers, they're going to be in trouble. This New York Giants team, yes, they probably are the least talented team in the postseason this year, but they are incredibly well coached. And when it comes to making and out of wildcard weekend, you can win by not having a superior roster. You can make it out of wildcard weekend by having a not great roster, but being a fantastic coach. Okay, Brian Dable has done a fantastic job coaching up this New York Giants team. And not just him, but the staff he has assembled. Wink Martindale, he's done a pretty good job with this defense considering some of the injuries they've had to battle with. On the offensive side of the football, their offensive coordinator is being in the talks for a couple of head coaching interviews. So this is a fantastic coaching staff. And one thing that you can expect from a well-coached team is that You can expect a disciplined football team that doesn't commit a lot of turnovers. They don't beat themselves, which is a plus. Plus, they don't have too many miscues. So when you have a team that doesn't beat themselves and they play true to who they are, they can be really tough. The Minnesota Vikings know what the New York Giants want to do. They want to give Saquon Barkley the ball as many times as possible. Now, in their first matchup, The Vikings did a pretty good job at slowing down Saquon Barkley. They didn't shut him down. They slowed him down. And that's pretty much all you really need to do to slow down this Giants offense. Okay, these wide receivers, listen, they were doing damage against Minnesota the first go around. But, I mean, let's be honest. There aren't really any elite difference makers in this offense that make you crap your pants. Okay, Darius Slayton is their best receiver then their second best receiver probably is either Richie James or Isaiah Hodges. So for the Minnesota Vikings, okay, yeah, your defense hasn't been all that great. But as long as you can slow down Saquon Barkley and you don't allow him to take over this game, you're comfortable with these wide receivers doing work against you. You're comfortable with Daniel Jones throwing the football against your defense because with how good your defense has been that force and takeaways, you know eventually there's going to come a moment where your defense should hopefully be able to come away with one. Now, the run defense for this Giants defense is a big concern of mine. They're 27th in rushing yards per game allowed. They're giving up 144.2 rushing yards. Huge concern when you're going against a team like Minnesota with the running back group that they have and Alexander Madison, Dalvin Cook. I think that Minnesota in this ball game, they probably should put way more emphasis on running the football than they did the first go around. I think the first go around, they were so overly reliant on the passing game that they kind of got away from the run game at times. So if you're Minnesota, you get the run game going against this New York Giants defense, it's going to be able to keep your horrible defense off the field. It's going to be able to tire out this elite defensive line that the New York Giants have. And eventually it should soften things up for you to maybe get some big plays down the field if you want to try to push the ball vertically now the defensive line is stout you got Dexter Lawrence who is having a pro bowl season 
Seven and a half sacks, leads the team. You got Kayvon Thibodeau, one of the better rookie pass rushers in the NFL from the regular season. Leonard Williams is still one of the better interior defensive linemen in the game. I don't give a damn what the stats show. Tell me what the film shows when you put on Leonard Williams. The dude is one of the best interior defensive linemen in the game. So... With this defensive line being good, they have the ability to get after the quarterback. That's where the Minnesota Vikings' troubles on offense lies. It's been the offensive line. And even if this offensive line is able to get the couple of guys back that they need healthy, it's still been up and down. So the pass rush for the New York Giants is going to be really key in being able to win this game because you got to be able to get... Kirk Cousins, out of sync, out of rhythm. And the best way to do that is by getting pressure on him, getting in his face. Because then once he starts to sense pressure, he ends up not trusting the offensive line. He ends up getting the ball out faster than what he should. He doesn't allow the deep routes downfield to develop. When you get that pass rush going, you force Kirk Cousins to become check down Charlie. Well, or even bigger check down Charlie than what he already is. This dude get super paranoid just when you just get a finger in this in this face it's like Kirk Cousins bro like the dude just has a finger in in your face bro like you can't wait a couple more seconds to throw the football downfield so for the New York Giants another way that you can win this game is by forcing Kirk Cousins to beat you throwing the football downfield okay Kirk Cousins can push the ball downfield and he is a pretty accurate deep ball thrower the problem is that he is really hesitant to push the football downfield because he'd rather take what the defense gives him underneath. So if you're the New York Giants, you're a Wink Martindale, you got to try to take away the short stuff. Force Kirk Cousins to beat you throwing the football downfield. You want to get him uncomfortable. Okay, when you're in the playoffs, these teams pretty much already have who they are set. Nobody goes into the playoffs and just completely changes who they are as a football team. If Kirk Cousins was a check down Charlie in the regular season, he's most likely still going to continue to be a check down machine in the playoffs. I don't really think that's going to change. So if you're the New York Giants, force Kirk Cousins to beat you downfield. Don't allow the easy, short, intermediate throws that they get to Justin Jefferson or TJ Hawkinson. Like, force Minnesota to beat you throwing the football downfield. Now... Another thing that I like about this New York Giants defense is that although they may not be the most outstanding defense statistically, stats-wise, this is a defense that pretty much is in the middle of the pack. This is probably one of the best situational defenses in the NFL. They know how to get off the field on third down. They have the fifth best third down defense in the league. They also can get you off the field in the red zone. You get into the red zone against the New York Giants, they force you to come away with field goals versus walking away with touchdowns. And that's a big reason why this team kind of is in the situation they're in. Their offense has been good enough, but their defense has done a really good job situationally being able to get opposing teams off the field in third down situations and stopping you when you get inside the red zone, which is why the New York Giants are that scrappy team because they're able to find ways to keep the game close and then come the fourth quarter, the last couple of minutes, they find a way to steal the game from you. 
for the Minnesota Vikings, you were able to escape last time because Greg Joseph made that long field goal. But this go around, if the New York Giants get the ball in the fourth quarter and they can get the run game going and Saquon Barkley is having the game, you're going to be in trouble. And I honestly feel like if the Giants go into the fourth quarter with the lead in this game, I kind of like the Giants, you know, like I know the Minnesota Vikings are the better team, but with them being the better team, you kind of would like them to come out and show it. The New York Giants, yes, they're well coached. They do have a couple of pieces there, but this is a team that mostly on a good day against a Super Bowl contender probably is losing by at least 10 points or more. So for the Minnesota Vikings, I'm taking them to win this game. And I'm going to take them to cover that minus three and a half. And I'm pretty confident about it. You know, I think the first matchup showed us that even though Minnesota wasn't able to beat the New York Giants handily, you know, they still had a pretty good amount of success moving the ball efficiently on offense their defense was able to come away with a couple of turnovers and the New York Giants yeah they had a couple of good drives but for the most part you know this Giants offense is really limited and when you have a limited team in the playoffs there's only so much you can do you have to scheme up everything you have to coach your tail off and eventually the talent plus the coaching is going to be a little bit too much I don't think Kevin O'Connell is a bad coach. As a matter of fact, I think you probably could consider him a top 10 coach based off this season. I mean, the Vikings are in the playoffs. They know how to win close games. For Minnesota, I'm going to take them to win this game, not just because they're the better team, but because I think they have more ways to win compared to the New York Giants. In the playoffs, it's all about finding ways to win. Yeah, teams have their identities, but they also have a plan A, B, or C. At least that's what you need to have if you're trying to make a deep run in the playoffs. You got to have multiple ways to win. Some games you may have to win by your defense getting a big stop. Other games you may have to win because of special teams. It's just that the Minnesota Vikings know how to win different ways. Their offense can win in a shootout. Their defense can make the necessary plays needed to win. And you look at the New York Giants. Yeah, their defense is solid, but their offense is mostly Saquon Barkley a bust. If they don't get Saquon Barkley going, the offense more times than not is going to struggle. I'm going to take the Minnesota Vikings to win this game. 27 to 20 is my final score prediction for this matchup. Last game that we have to talk about, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys are traveling to Tampa. You look at Dallas, man. This is one of the best defenses in the NFL. They're fifth in points per game allowed. They can get off the field in third down situations. They're also good in the red zone. But the thing that makes this defense amongst the best in the NFL, probably second behind the 49ers, is their ability to generate takeaways. They're number one in the NFL and forced turnovers. You look at the Buccaneers. This team has been really streaky and really inconsistent on offense. I won't even call this offense streaky. This offense just isn't good. And yes, this offense kind of has came alive over the last couple of weeks, but look who they played. I remember 
what this offense did in the third quarter against the Cincinnati Bengals. They had five consecutive turnovers back to back to back to back to back. And it's funny that we talk about the Buccaneers offense having problems with turnovers because the Dallas Cowboys have similar issues. It's just that the Dallas Cowboys, unlike the Buccaneers, are good enough to overcome Dak Prescott's recklessness. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers can overcome turnovers. This is a team that, this is how the Buccaneers win games. They remind me a lot of the, you remember that 2021 Pittsburgh Steelers team with aging Big Ben Roethlisberger? That's exactly the kind of team that the Buccaneers remind me of. They struggle to generate big plays in the passing game. They either have to do dink and dump to the wide receivers or they got to dink and dump their way, throwing checkdowns to Leonard Fournette and Rashard White. You remember the Pittsburgh Steelers that same season. They were doing a lot of dink and dunks, a lot of quick throws, getting the ball out to the receivers fast. And then they were either trying to dink and dunk with Najee Harris. And then when that wasn't working, guess what they used to do? They used to go no huddle. Same thing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do when they can't get anything going on offense. They go no huddle. Now, the no huddle approach has worked for Tampa Bay simply for the fact that they weren't playing a defense as good as the Dallas Cowboys. And this is where my questions lies when it comes to this game okay for the people who are saying that the Buccaneers are going to come out and surprise us how this is an offense that they're beat up on the offensive line and you're going against a Dallas Cowboys defense that's one of the best defenses at getting pressure on the quarterback so if Tom Brady didn't have that much time to throw the football against Arizona What makes you think that he's going to have a lot of time to throw the football with Michael Parsons coming at him full speed? And Tom Brady, his his lack of mobility has really hurt the Buccaneers this season. Against Cincinnati, he could even pick up two yards to convert a third and two. They ended up kicking the field goal on fourth and one inside of Cincinnati's 10-yard line. So for the Buccaneers, offensively, I really question how they're going to move the ball against Dallas defense okay if you're Dan Quinn one of the best defensive minds in the NFL you're forcing Tom Brady to beat you over the top now Tom Brady does have the arm strength to still push the football down the field at times but Tom Brady has not been that accurate throwing the deep ball this year there's been a lot of um overthrows or underthrows to Mike Evans So I just really question how effective this Buccaneers offense is going to be in this game. Plus, they are one of the worst teams in the NFL when it comes to running the football. They have the worst rushing attack in the NFL. And that is a tribute to the offensive line not being good this year, dealing with all the injuries that they had to deal with. So if you can't run the football and you struggle to generate big plays in the passing game, How can the Buccaneers possibly win this game? Well, the Dallas Cowboys are the Dallas Cowboys. And what I mean by the Dallas Cowboys being them is that this is a team that they're super talented. As a matter of fact, I think if the Dallas Cowboys weren't so turnover prone with Dak Prescott, 
they probably will be my pick to make it to the Super Bowl. I mean, I'm not concerned about the defense. Outside of whoever they have lining up at that second cornerback spot, I'm not worried about the defense, and I'm not worried about the run defense. I'm worried about this offense being able to take care of the damn football. You don't want to give a team like Tampa Bay extra possessions, and this is how the Buccaneers have survived this year, and it really irritates me, bro, like, Teams play the Buccaneers, and it's kind of like they have this mentality, oh, they don't have a great offense, so we can afford to give them extra possessions and be sloppy, and our defense is going to be able to bail us out. Now, the problem with that is that once you get into the fourth quarter, if the game's close and Tom Brady has the ball with two minutes left, and you give him an extra possession, he's going to beat you. I don't know what the hell it is with Tom Brady in the last two minutes of games, but something just snaps. It doesn't matter how bad this man plays throughout the course of a game. Last two minutes, money time, Tom Brady gets it done. And for the Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott's recklessness has really hurt this team in a couple of games. You remember that Jacksonville Jaguars game, right? You know, the walk-off pick six that Dak Prescott threw to Rashawn Jenkins that won the game for Jacksonville and really got Jacksonville on everybody's radar nationally. Same thing last week against Washington. You know, for the Dallas Cowboys, what holds this team back is themselves. And really, Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott, minus the turnovers, is having a fantastic season. Like, I saw a stat pop up during one game that I was watching and it was average point per game for starting quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes was up there. I think Josh Allen was up there as well. And Dad Prescott was up there. So when Dad Prescott plays, this Cowboys offense is amongst the best in the NFL. It's just that he holds them back at times because he can't take care of the football. And when you're playing in the playoffs, teams that can take care of the football I think are the teams that sometimes are the teams that end up going the furthest. If you are gifting teams like Tampa Bay extra possessions, you're allowing them to stay in the game. And that's the problem when teams play the Bucs. They allow them to stay in the game, and then they end up letting the game slip out of their hands like Arizona did because they can't seal the deal. They allow Tom Brady to get the ball back with two minutes left, and then they allow them to go down the field and score. So... For the Dallas Cowboys, my biggest concern is really their ability to take care of the football. Dak Prescott only has one interception and one turnover in this game. I think they probably win. But if he has multiple, like two or three turnovers, two or three interceptions, I definitely feel like this game definitely tilts in the favor of Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay's defense is really good, okay? F what the statistics show, this defense is starting to get healthy. Well, they weren't healthy for a large part of the season. Over the last month or so, they've had some guys come back, and this defense has been really good. As a matter of fact, this defense has carried this team for the last part of the season, okay? This defense has a really good pass rush, and I think that the secondary also has played some really good football as well. Go back to that game against the Cincinnati Bengals. If it wasn't for the five gifts, and I say gifts because that's what they were, the five gifts that the Bucks gave the Cincinnati Bengals, 
The Cincinnati Bengals offense didn't really do anything. The turnovers is really what helped them score points. So for the Tempe Buccaneers defensively, their defense is going to keep them in this game. Plus, you already have Todd Bowles, who is one of the best defensive minds in the league. And although he's not a good head coach, this guy can coach some defense, okay? This defense has been doing some really good stuff over the last couple of weeks. So with this defense being aggressive, you're going against a quarterback who's reckless and careless with the ball at times. So there's going to be an opportunity to get some turnovers and get the ball back to your offense. I'm really big on the Buccaneers defense in this game. Now... I wonder how they're going to fare against the one-two punch of Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. The Dallas Cowboys are ninth in the NFL and rushing yards per game. And I do think that, you know, one concern that I have about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is that I think that this Dallas Cowboys offensive line is going to be able to open up the run lanes and get that rushing attack going in this game. And if that run game gets going for the Buccaneers... That's a huge problem because your offense that already struggles to score the football as it is. So therefore, every possession counts. But if Dallas is taking, you know, five, six minutes off the clock per drive, if you're an offense that struggles to move the football, you already are at a disadvantage. Then you're going to be at an even more disadvantage where you have to make every single possession count. So therefore... If the Cowboys get that run game going and they can win the time of possession battle, I think that the Buccaneers are going to be in a lot of trouble. And then if the Buccaneers get down early, I think this game is pretty much going to be all but decided. If Dallas can get up to a 14 or three possession lead at any point in this game, I think it's wrapped. I don't think the Buccaneers this year are built to win games coming from behind. They can't run the football, so they have to overly rely on Tom Brady. And at Tom Brady's age, asking him to throw the football as many times as what he has done this season for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is unacceptable. And this is why the 2022-2023 Tampa Bay Buccaneers team reminds me a lot of that 2021 Pittsburgh Steelers team that went to the playoffs last season and got outed by the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going to take the Cowboys to win this game. I won't say this game will be a blowout, but I do think that Dallas will win this game comfortably. I'll take Dallas to win 24 to 13. I mean, I really can't see the Buccaneers having too much success on the offensive side of the football. And yes, I do understand that the Dallas Cowboys were shut down by the Buccaneers the first time they played. But this Buccaneers team that we are seeing going into the playoffs is not the same Buccaneers team that we saw beat the Dallas Cowboys earlier this season. This Buccaneers team got worse. I don't like the coaching. I don't like the fact that they struggle to generate big plays in the passing game. They can't run the football. And I mean, they can try to get creative all they want to. But at the end of the day, when you get to the playoffs, you don't go from being bad at something to being great at something all that often. Most of the times when you get to the playoffs, you are what you are. So for the Buccaneers, unless this defense is able to force a good amount of turnovers, which they do have a good chance of doing, and this offense can capitalize off it, I got to take Dallas. And I'm not 
insanely confident in Dallas. If I had to rate my confidence level for this game, I probably would rate it a two out of five. My confidence in Dallas being able to win mostly because of Mike McCarthy and the playoff blunders that he's had in the past. But with the Buccaneers offense being as bad as it has for pretty much the majority of this year, struggling to generate big plays, having to dink and dump their way down the field. I think that this defense for the Cowboys is just going to be way too much for Tom Brady and company to overcome. And I'm not doubting Tom Brady, okay? I'm just doubting this team and the coaching staff. If Tom Brady has a chance to win this game with two minutes left, damn it, he's going to do it, all right? So that's my prediction. I'm taking Dallas to win. And I'm taking them to cover outright. But if this game is close and Tom Brady has a chance to win this game with two minutes left, the Buccaneers are going to win. This is it for my NFC Super Wildcard preview and predictions. Leave your predictions down in the comment section down below if you're watching this on YouTube. Make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast available on all podcasting platforms. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, where you get your podcast from, you can listen to the JT Sports Podcast. And I will see you guys shortly with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.